So it's episode 4 of the Sod Wrestling Farm Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You could be watching this right now on YouTube. We've just put up the YouTube channel, so Sod Wrestling Farm Podcast will also be available on YouTube, full episodes. So if you're on YouTube, thanks for watching. Yeah, episode 4. This is going to be the last of the daily episodes that's been happening recently. There's been 4 episodes for the last 4 days, so we're going to slow that down. So yeah couple of things to talk about today, one of which being WWE.com has posted the 15 greatest revolutions ever in WWE. We're going to check that out and laugh at that fucking bollocks because it's a load of shit. We'll check that out. Also, we're going to continue on the A to Z of WWE. We're on the letter B, according to WWE's encyclopedia. So we'll look at a good wrestler there and a bad wrestler there. And, uh, also, uh, oh, I'm yet to check the mail. I'll check the mail out, see if anyone's been in touch. I seriously fucking doubt it. Remember, people, you can get in touch with the show. Send a message now through YouTube. You can email sodwrestlingfun at mail.com or facebook.com forward slash the sodwrestlingfun. Something to take note of, a couple of things that are newsworthy today, is that WWE Extreme Rules, uh, the early number for the pay-per-view buy has been a quarter of a million, which is very good considering last year only drew around about 147,000 buys, so that just goes to show that Brock Lesnar equals buys, so yeah. Great that that many people saw such a fan pay-per-view as well. Well, so well, it's great that that many people saw John Cena get his fucking ass handed to him on a big stage. So that's a great number, and uh, <clears throat> hopefully WWE will pay uh, attention to that. Well, they'll have to once this buy rate for over the limit comes in. But anyway, also uh, Rey Mysterio's contract has apparently been extended. Uh, for the length of time that he was out injured, which was since last August with his knee injury. So he's got about 10 or 11 months added to the end of his contract. So that's one for the Ray Mysterio fans out there, if <coughs> if there is any. Um, let's see. Uh, also, Alex Shelley has apparently been contacted by the WWE. However, the deal has not been reached at this time but good to know that he's been contacted good talent uh, if he could get Saban nah, that, that would be something but anyway also the Wrestling Observer is reporting that many in WWE don't expect Raw going three hours to be a permanent thing that could be good news while the advertisements bill while the advertisements bill it as being permanent, many are comparing it to when WCW went three hours years ago, which wasn't good. The format of the show is still being developed. The premise is to treat it like a pay-per-view event every Monday night with interactive features. 
Reportedly, those in WWE feel that two hours drags by each week and adding a third hour won't benefit them. It's said that the USA Network has been interested in a third hour for years, but WWE has not been interested. USA currently pays WWE about $700,000 weekly for Raw, which means the increase equals $5.2 million in new gross revenue for WWE. Hmm. So, I still think it's a bad idea. But, we'll see how it turns out. I can't see nothing good coming from going three hours. It's insane if you ask me. Send your comments and questions to sadwrestlingfan at mail.com So, let's go straight ahead and continue. Sorry, I'm just going to reach over for this. Fucking encyclopedia. You could brain somebody with this. It's fucking huge. Okay, the A to Z of WWE continues on the Sod Wrestling Fan podcast with the letter B. Alright, so what have we got for the letter B? We've to choose a good wrestler and a fucking shite wrestler. Uh, and this, um, so B, let's see. We'll start with the bad wrestler. And that's going to be sorry, I should really have this um should really have this planned out before recording the show, so I'm not fucking around trying to find all right, here we go. The bad wrestler this week is going to be Black Bart from Pampa, Texas. His signature move was the flan leg drop and he was active from, well, during the 80s. Uh, yeah, during the 80s. So, Black Bart, what a name. It's like, um, I was going to be racist there, but I won't. Okay, Black Bart is tough as nails, a tough as nails Texan. Black Bart left a lasting impression on his opposition, literally. As it wasn't uncommon to see him mark his opponents using his trademark BB branding iron. Prior to his brief WWE stint in 1989, Black Bart gained notoriety competing in the Southern Territories of the United States with his tag team partner Ron Bass. Or that could be Ron Bass, I don't fucking know. The duo carried their successful union from state to state before ultimately going their separate ways in 1985. As a singles competitor, Perhaps Black Bart's biggest victory came in September 1986 when he defeated Chris Adams for the world-class championship wrestling title. Unfortunately for Bart, however, he lost the title one month later to Kerry Von Erich. So there you go. You know, he could actually be okay. It's just that I've never fucking watched any of his matches. So, but there you go. Fucking awesome. Okay, for the good wrestler. The... Uh, I would have done Bobby the Brain Heenan, but it's a bit fucking long, so um, we'll skip that. So, let's see who else we've got. Yeah, There's also Brett the Hitman Hart, it's a little, it's a little long. Oh yeah, that's right, we said we'd do the Brain Busters for the good wrestlers. So this is uh, the Brain Busters, the tag team of Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. 
Um, why is it called the Brain Busters? I don't know. Obviously, they couldn't use the Four Horsemen name, but just Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, that name would have done. So, anyway. Alright. As founding members of the legendary Four Horsemen, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard created historic reputations that preceded their WWE debut. Once they arrived in WWE, their impressive teamwork went a long way toward proving they were as good as everybody believed. Trading in manager J.J. Dillon for Bobby the Brain Heenan, the two-time NWA Tag Team Champions made their way to WWE in 1988. Billed as the Brain Busters, playing off their manager's nickname. Anderson and Blanchard made quick work of WWE's top names, including the Rockers at Saturday Night's main event and Strike Force at WrestleMania 5. Despite their impressive record, it took the team more than seven months to receive their first high-profile World Tag Team Championship opportunity. <clears throat> In May 1989, the Brain Busters challenged Demolition for the tag titles on Saturday Night's main event. Anderson and Blanchard walked away with the disqualification victory, but not the championship. Two months later, they faced the job when they be- sorry. Two months later, they finished the job. <laughs> they didn't face the job. That would be fucking stupid. Two months later, they finished the job when they de- when they defeated Demolition in a two out of three falls match. When the titles with the titles in their possession, the Brainbusters were finally considered a part of WWE's upper echelon of superstars. The Brainbusters left WWE in late 1989. While their stay in the promotion was brief, Anderson and Blanchard used the time to prove to a national audience that they were one of the most intelligent and technically sound tag teams of the 1980s. Woo! So there you go. Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard of the Brainbusters of the four fucking horsemen. That's a oh, there's Baracus. Remember that shithead. All right, let's have let's have a bonus, Baracus. <clears throat> uh, signature move: the Power Slam from Germany. Uh, all right, so here's a bonus, Baracus. The powerhouse and former professional bodybuilder came to WWE in 1996. Brackus was a relentless rule breaker and wanted not only to beat his opponents, but to break them. <laughs> I will fucking break you. He met superstars like Dr. Derek, Doc, <laughs> Dr. Fuck's sake, I can't speak today. He met superstars like Dr. X, The Sultan, Rockabilly, The Jackal, and Jeff Jarrett. In February 98, he appeared at Extreme Championship Wrestling Saber Slam and fought Taz for the ECW television title. Later that year, he competed in the Brawl for All tournament, losing in a in disappointing fashion to... <coughs> oh, Savio Vega. <laughs> oh, fuck, that is embarrassing. Nice way to go, Braggus. Fucking idiot. After the loss, Braggus returned to Europe and has not been seen in WWE since. <laughs> fuck. I, I would probably leave the country as well if Savio Vega... Uh, Owned my ass. <laughs> Savio Vega, Jesus Christ. That's bad. So that was B. Yeah, Blackbart, the Brain Busters, and Baracus. You can email the show. Get your comments, questions, all that shit, whatever you want to say. Uh, the sad wrestling fan at mail.com. 
Facebook.com forward slash Sod Wrestling Fun, YouTube.com forward slash Sod Wrestling Fun, whatever. Get in touch with the show. Alright, so finally today we're going to look at the 15 greatest revolutions in WWE history, as written by WWE.com. The winds of change have blown through the WWE universe many times over the years, and though some have been passing gusts, Others have fundamentally shifted the course of sports entertainment history. From the emergence of new and dominant factions to the rise of immortal and unforgettable superstars. From a bold new era to an internet rebellion. WWE.com remembers revolutions past and this peaked back at 15 of the greatest revolutions in WWE history. What a load of bollocks. Okay, well let's see what we've got. Alright, first up is CM Punk's first pipe bomb. The work shoot promo, but yeah, let's see what they say. About this, alright. CM Punk sat down cross-legged with fire in his eyes in Las Vegas, Nevada, June 27, 2011, during final moments of Monday Night Raw. What would soon become known across the WWE Universe as Punk's first pipe bomb was an explosion of words and ideas that were both radically charged and shocking to hear. The anger and frustration Punk felt at the way things were going in his WWE career to that point was crystal clear as he told the universe what was on his mind. The aftershock of Punk's verbal blasts were so powerful that they shook the WWE Universe to its very foundation. And reverberated so uh, reverberated <laughs> cock so far and loud that that laps WWE Universe members had no choice but to come back home. Blah blah blah. Alright, CM Punk's pipe bombs first, alright. Probably probably noteworthy. Probably. Uh next is the attitude era. We get a big picture of Triple O, it's a video, fuck that shit. It's a video of Triple H with a tank when they invaded WCW. It seemed to go by in the blink of an eye, and yet the Attitude Era was upon the WWE Universe for the better part of seven years. <sighs> Blah. It was the birth of Stone Cold Steve Austin who added on this that summer night of... Oh, Jesus fucking Christ, I can't fucking read! It was the birth of Stone Cold Steve Austin who added on that summer night in 1986 that his time had finally come. It was the rock who exploded into the pop culture lexicon as one of the biggest stars the industry has ever and ever will see. It was D-Generation X and New Age Outlaws who spit in the face of authority on a weekly basis and straddled the tank and parked it on WCW's front lawn. It was hardcore, it was TLC, it was the Attitude Era. Alright, no problem. Next is uh, and this is where it starts getting fucking dumb Zack Raiders internet revolution in any business self promotion is crucial and don't I know it because I've been hearing this way, or I've been hearing this podcast out to all sorts but anyway today that means utilising social network and websites to put oneself out there in front of as many people as possible or in the case of WWE superstar Zack Ryder to put himself over with as many people in the WWE universe as possible okay so Zack Ryder was a great revolution in WWE history people okay next oh, and, and again 
were on this uh, slippery slope of bullshit when uh, WWE presents one of the greatest, most important revolutions in WWE history was people power. Yes, people power. All right, next. Fuck that. The NWO. Now, this is a little better. Mr. McMahon was so convinced in 2002 that WWE co-owner Ric Flair would ruin the company that the chairman saw no choice but to beat Flair to the punch and inject a lethal dose of poison. To do so, he enlisted the same cancerous force that brought WCW to its knees, the NWO. Despite McMahon's admitted... Hold on a second. This is a... No. Well... I suppose because of the it's the greatest revolutions in WWE history. There's talking about when the NWO came to WWE and not the NWO of WCW. So, yeah, for all it was worth. Uh, okay, next up we've got Hulkamania, brother. Yeah, let's see. Hogan's ascent was simply unstoppable. He broke Andre the Giant's legendary undefeated streak by body slamming him. Uh, Coinciding with the mid-80s rock and wrestling connection that tied WWE and the groundbreaking MTV at the hip, Hulkamania found pop culture support in the form of celebrity pals such as Mr. T and Cindy Lauper. Blah, blah, blah. What you gonna do? Right, no problem. Next. The Heart Foundation. Don't get me wrong. I liked wrestling at this time. But a revolution? Uh... The year 1987 was one of transition for WWE, but one of the key players of WWE's fading new generation, Bret the Hitman Hart, was not completely on board with the more risque direction in which WWE was heading. <sighs> Hart nearly declared war completely on the US fan base. He thought to be filled with reprobates, and his comments drew the air of countless American superstars. Alright, next... WrestleMania. Uh, what can be said of an event that celebrated its 20th installment this year? WrestleMania 1, the only WrestleMania to be broadcast via closed circuit, was a huge risk when WWE ruled it out in 1985. Now, nearly 30 years later, WrestleMania is universally identified as the gold standard in sports entertainment events. <sighs> Next. Oh, this fucking blows, doesn't it? D-Generation X. Raunchy, disrespectful, are just a few words one could use to describe D-Generation X. Cutting edge, fearless, revolutionary. Also fit the bill. Whether talking about the original DX team of Shawn Michaels, Triple H and China, or the expanded faction of Triple H, China, X-Pac and the New Age Outlaws, DX remained the same. Nothing was sacred and nobody was safe from their controversial antics. No... Controversial as in making a porn film. China, I'm looking at you. On you, Axe Punk. Next, oh Jesus, the invasion and the the alliance. Mm -mm. It was a revolution sports entertainment fans had dreamed of for years. And in spring 2001, that dream became a reality. When WWE acquired WCW and shocking industry changing blockbuster. Oh, we don't need to read any more of that. We all know that the invasion sucked balls. Next. The corporate ministry. (laughs) 
For months in 1988 and 1999, Mr. McMahon's corporation and the Undertaker's Ministry of Darkness were dominant forces of evil in WWE. The corporation heralded clean-cut enforcement while the ministry included a collection of demonic monsters. Oh, right, okay, they got the galler and all that shit, okay. Bullshit. Next! 1990s ECW Invasion by... Oh, written by Joey Stead. So, the 1990s ECW Invasion. During the tournament final match, the crown, WWE's King of the Ring, and 1995 between King Mabel and Savio Vega again. Jesus Christ, Savio Vega is the star of this podcast. The Philly crowd suddenly started to angrily chant ECW, ECW at the two superstars who were both dressed in gimmicky, circus clown-like outfits worse than their clownish personalities. Extreme Championship Wrestling had returned to wrestling's roots, presenting their performers as real people they were, blah, 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 blah. ECW wrestlers Salmon, Tommy Dreamer, Taz, Paul Heyman were in the front row, September 96, in your house main games event in Philadelphia. During the show, the Salmon interfered in the strap match between Savio Vega and Bradshaw, spit beer in, Ve- in Vega's face. McMahon acknowledged ECW, they showed up on Raw, load of shit, next. Well, it wasn't a load of shit, it was actually pretty good, but, but anyway... Next is the Nexus. Okay, not reading it. Next. Jeez, the Nexus. The McMahon Helmsley era. <laughs> Alright, they say power corrupts. If that's so, then the McMahon Helmsley faction was absolutely corrupted. Blah, blah, blah. Next. This hasn't been that good, has it? Um, the Austin era. When Stone Cold Steve Austin vanquished Jake the Snake Roberts in the finals of the 96 King of the Ring, he shocked the WWE Universe by not only bragging about dismantling his aging opponent, but refusing to pay the vanquished Roberts the proper respect. Austin's first command as King was, get that piece of trash out of my ring. From then on, the Austin era was one act of defense, blah blah blah, we all know what happened. Next. <coughs> oh, sorry. Mm-mm. WCW. WCW is the greatest rival WWE has ever faced. The Monday Night Wars are one of the most pivotal battles in the history of sports entertainment. WCW's success rested on the shoulders of experienced competitors and high-flying young rising superstars. More than a decade since the demise of the Atlanta-based organization, WWE Classic lists the top 50 WCW stars of all time. Okay, plug. Alright, next. Oh, that's it. No, alright, that's it over. Okay, so, there you go. They were the most important revolutions in this business. (sighs) That's going to do it for this episode. Quick 25-minute show. Sodwrestlingfan at mail.com if you want to get in touch with the show, have your opinions, thoughts, questions, whatever bullshit you want to say, put out to the world. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash sodwrestlingfan, YouTube.com forward slash sodwrestlingfan, whatever, get in touch with the show, and I will see you on probably Monday, and we'll have a look at Smackdown and see what's going down on Monday Night Raw, unfortunately, so... Check you out then, and thanks very much again for listening. Peace. It's the sad wrestling fan.